Back when I was in seminary, I remember being in a class and the professor is standing at the front and Ken Swetland says something along the lines of, some of you may become a pastor one day and if that's true for you, you may find yourself behind your desk the first day on your job and you think, what do I do now? I remember in August of 1996 being on my first day on the job here, my office at that time was just behind the stage here. And I sat down and I wondered, what do I do now? That was a question that was running through my mind. I began to work on some 100-day goals. But I sensed that the Holy Spirit was nudging me to push those aside for the time being and to simply seek God in prayer. And it struck me that we could be fulfilling certain goals as a church, but if those goals didn't reflect the purposes of God, our, quote, success would be meaningless. It would be empty. And then, as some of you may know, a verse from 1 Samuel chapter 2 came to my mind and heart where God says of the prophet Samuel, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my mind and heart. And even as a younger pastor, I knew that true success, not just for me personally, but for us as a community, would be about doing what was in God's heart and mind. Not long after becoming a pastor here, I sensed that we needed a renewed vision statement. And so the board of elders and I, on a Saturday, headed off to a retreat center in the Fraser Valley. And that day, we hammered out a vision statement. It was fairly elegant. It had poetic parallelisms. But the problem with the vision statement is that none of us could remember it. Not even me, and I was, it was my job to remember it. And so I found that as I was interacting with people that were new to the church, uh, maybe students who were interested in doing an internship, and they would look at me and say, what's the vision of the church? I found myself spontaneously saying, well, our vision is simply to be a community where people of all different backgrounds can discover Christ, to be a place of healing for the broken, recognizing that we're all broken in some way, to be a place of spiritual transformation that fosters our wholeness, and then to be a mission base from which we bring Christ's compassion and justice to the world. I said that over and over and over again in different conversations, and it struck me, that's our vision. And I wrote it down. And and our vision has been slightly tweaked across the years, but it's simply this, to be a place where people of all different backgrounds can discover Christ, to be a community of spiritual transformation that seeks social justice for all. And as Craig mentioned earlier, today and over the next couple of Sundays, we're going to be unpacking our vision together. We're going to be looking at our vision to be this community where people can discover or rediscover Christ regardless of their background, to be a community of spiritual transformation that seeks justice for all. And today we're going to be looking specifically at our vision 
to make Christ known. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 wrote that his vision was to make known the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our church's vision is something that is consistent with God's purpose for humanity from the very beginning of time. When God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he called them to reflect God's image to their world. As the theologian N.T. Wright points out, God had called Adam and Eve to live like angled mirrors that would reflect God's light back to God, but also to their world. But as we know, Adam and Eve chose to live apart from God, and they failed in their calling to reflect God's light back to God and to the world. So millennia later, God approaches an aged couple named Abraham and Sarah and says to them in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. Abraham and Sarah's descendants, as you may know, came to be known as the children or the people of Israel. And there were times when the people of Israel did reflect something of God's light back to God and to the world. But for the most part, they failed in that calling. And so God eventually took it upon himself to fulfill the promise that he had made to Abraham and Sarah that through their family, the whole world would be blessed, that the light of God would come. And so God approached one of Abraham and Sarah's great, 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 great granddaughters, a teenager named Mary, a virgin, and supernaturally came upon her, enabled her to miraculously conceive a child. And God was born as a human being on our planet in Bethlehem that first Christmas. And he was given the name Jesus. And when Jesus grew up, during his ministry, he said, I am the light of God. I am the light of the world. And the reason our vision is to make Christ known is because when we do that, we fulfill our calling as human beings from God to make the light of God known. Our vision is consistent with God's call for humanity from the beginning of time, his call to Abraham and Sarah and their family, of course, his call coming in and through Jesus Christ. But it's also consistent with the history of our faith tradition. Let me jump ahead now to the year 1843. In 1843, a man named Albert Benjamin Simpson was born. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. A.B. Simpson uh, was... Uh, uh, born in Prince Edward Island, so he's Canadian. In his 30s, he ends up becoming a pastor of an upscale, swanky church in New York City. And he begins reaching out to people from places like uh, Italy, where the people from Italy are moving into New York City and uh, 
Poland and Germany and so forth. And he introduces some of these people to Jesus Christ. They, they experience a spiritual awakening. And then he tries to bring them into his Presbyterian church there in the city. And these people are considered lower on the ethnic, racial, social hierarchy. And so the elders and the leaders of the church say, no, they're not coming into this church. And A.B. Simpson is forced to resign. And he has it in his heart to go to China as a missionary, but his wife doesn't feel that that is the right direction for them. And so they stay in New York as a family, and A.B. Simpson begins to reach out to people that are coming into New York City from all over the world, uh, including single parents, the urban poor, those that are in a very vulnerable place. And then uh, Simpson, along with some others, begins to send people around the world to share the light of Christ. And this movement, though it was never intentionally started uh, to um, begin a denomination, evolves into something called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, the denomination of which we are part. Now let me jump ahead now to the year 1935. A man named John Fee, who has been a missionary to China, is gathering with a small group of people here in the city, and they are praying that God will raise up a church here in Vancouver that will share the light of Christ to others, in, in deed, uh, in, in word. And after a while, they begin to have worship services in a saloon just off of Broadway and Kingsway, just off of that corner. They come in in the morning, open up the windows, air out you know, the cigarette uh, smoke smell, and, and, they, and they worship. And then they begin to sense that God might be leading them to a piece of property in the geographic center of our city. And as you may know, the east-west dividing line in Vancouver is right there on Ontario Street. The people didn't want to sell, but the building burned down. You know, no one was arrested for arson you know, from the original um, church group. Uh, but they bought this property. Do you know for how much? Someone just ventured a guess up there. $800. They didn't realize the bargain it was, even back in uh, 1938. It really was a bargain. And this church came to be known as 10th Avenue Alliance Church. The very first pastors, Gordon and Myrtle Wishart, mobilized the congregation to go door to door to tell people about the light and the good news of Jesus. And so our vision as a church isn't something that we concocted on a Tuesday morning. It is something consistent with God's call for humanity from the very beginning of time. It's consistent with his call to Abraham, Sarah, and their family, his call for Jesus Christ, of course. And it's consistent with our own faith tradition and the history of this particular church. Now, when I was a new pastor here at 10th, Back in 96, I remember leaving my office, which was just, as I mentioned, behind this wall here then, and walking west toward City Hall. I had an appointment with the then mayor, Philip Owen. I remember walking into his very spacious office with a long wooden table. I think it was made of oak. And, and during the conversation, I, I asked Mayor Owen this question. I said, look, I'm a new pastor here in the city uh, of a church not far from City Hall. Um, what, in your opinion, would be the greatest thing our church could do for the city of Vancouver? 
I thought Mayor Owen was going to say, well, you could support our four pillars drug harm reduction strategy, which he was promoting at the time. I thought he might say, you could start a ministry, a shelter for the homeless. Uh, we didn't have a shelter ministry at the time as a church, and homelessness was and continues to be a, a major problem in our city. But Mayor Owen paused, and then he said, the greatest thing that you could do for our city is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, I was just blown away by the answer, even though I knew he was a committed Christian who for many years had a strong connection to St. John Shaughnessy Anglican Church. I didn't ask him to unpack his reason for the answer because I agreed with it. But perhaps Mayor Owen thought that if a person meets Jesus Christ, their life can be radically transformed. And as that happens, they can bring more light, more blessing, more gift to our city. That's something that I definitely also believe. In personal conversations with people, sometimes uh, in uh, uh, talking with a group of people, I said something like this. Look, if I could give you $1 million, or if I could give you, say, a house in the city of Vancouver, mortgage-free as a gift. I'm just talking hypothetically here in case you're wondering. <laughs> or if I could give you some great achievement in your education or in your profession or in music, art, sport, or some other field. Or I could give you Jesus and I could only give you one of those. I would give you Jesus because Jesus is the greatest treasure, period. Some of you would be familiar with the name Abraham Maslow, the social scientist. He argued that we human beings tend to seek security and happiness in a predictable sequence. Some of you are familiar with what became known as Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So Maslow argued, and I know this has been contested, that look, if you're starving and you don't have any food, you're going to seek security in food, in something to eat. But if your stomach is satiated and you have food, but you don't have a place to live, you're going to seek security in some kind of shelter. If that need is met, you're going to seek meaning in your life through social connection, through a relationship, maybe through some friendship. If that need is met, Maslow said, then you will seek to find meaning in your life through achievement, through school, or through some kind of work. And if that need is met, you will have reached the pinnacle as you pursue something that he described as self-actualization, realizing your full potential. But interestingly, at the end of Maslow's life, he said, I was wrong. I was wrong in saying that self-actualization represents the pinnacle of life. He says, he said, the pinnacle of life, the apex of life is to connect, not with your full potential, but to be in union with some transcendent spiritual reality greater than yourself. And no matter how much a person achieves, no matter how much they accumulate, if they don't have a connection with some spiritual reality greater than themselves, there will be an emptiness inside them. 
And so the greatest gift that we can receive and the greatest gift that we can offer others and our city is the light of Jesus Christ. And that is a core part of our vision here at 10th. So how do we do that? How do we actually make Christ known? Well, if you're not sure that you know Christ personally, know that Jesus Christ can come into your life and shine his light in and through you. You can ask him to forgive your sins. Jesus died on a cross, a symbol of execution and death that is now beloved because on the cross, he was paving the way for our sins to be removed so that no matter what our background, we can turn to Christ and say, forgive my sins and he'll remove those sins and anything that walls us off from him, from a holy God. And we can invite Christ to come into our life, to shine his light in and through us. You can do that even now. If you've done that, or if you've done that at some point, how can you share the light of Christ with others? The light of God. How can you make him known? In my book, God, Am I Everything? I introduce a symbol imagined by a guy named Brian Myers who worked for World Vision International. And he imagines the good news of Jesus or the gospel as a kind of four-sided pyramid when we think of it as something to share. And so on one side of the pyramid is the word life. And Bright Myers points out that we can share the light of Christ or the good news of Christ through our lives, through who we are. And then on another side of the pyramid, Bright Myers has the word deed. And so he points out that we can share the light of Christ or the, the good news of Jesus through what we do through our deeds. And then he says we can also share the light of Christ through another side of the pyramid, through sign. And I'll explain what that means because that probably isn't immediately clear. And then finally, we can share the good news of Jesus Christ through a fourth side of the pyramid, word. It doesn't necessarily happen to go in that order, but it's helpful to think about it in this way. So, Meyer says, we can share the good news or the light of Jesus through our life. Now, if you were here last year at the end of June, uh, you may recall that we had a message. I, I gave a message to close out our series, Living into New Creation, on what it means to share our faith. And I interviewed someone who's part of our Mount Pleasant Morning community named Brent Beasley. I, I forewarned him that I would bring him up. And so it wasn't like a total shock to him. Brent works as a hairstylist at a salon in downtown Vancouver, and it has struck me that Brent is really passionate about naturally sharing his faith with others. I know it's true for Gil and for, for a number of you here. And I asked him, actually, this wasn't part of the interview, but in another conversation, how does it come up? Like, how do you start talking about your faith with others? And uh, Brent says... Um, you know, a client might come into my salon and they might say, you know, um, there's something about you that's different. You seem to have a calm about you, a, a peace, a joy. Um, I, I've noticed that. And then Brent is more than happy to tell the person the source of that peace and calm and joy, uh, that, that, that being sourced in Jesus. And so we can share Christ, the light of Christ, through who we are, through through, through our lives, through life. 
we can also share the light of Christ through another side of the, the four-sided pyramid of the gospel. And, and, and that can be through D. Now, if you were here at this service last Sunday, you would have heard my colleague Ashling preach about loving our neighbor as ourself. And, and in her message, she described how she was in her new apartment here in the city, and she was new to her, uh, baking some chocolate chip cookies. And as she was taking the chocolate chip cookies out of her oven, she was thinking, who can I share these with? And she put some on a plate, walked across the hall, knocked on her neighbor's door, whom she had never met. The, the neighbor is there, opens the door, and Ashley says something like, I know this may seem a little bit weird to you, but um, I just made some chocolate chip cookies and want to share some with you. And the neighbor was super happy, said, wow, um, for me, um, receiving chocolate chip cookies out of a person's oven is like a piece of heaven. And I, I, she didn't know if this person had a religious background or not, but sharing the light of God through a deed. I was, I was really inspired by that. The very next day, Labor Day, Monday, I'm out fishing with our son, uh, Joey, who's 14, uh, with some friends, and we end up catching a couple of, well, yeah, some, some big salmon. And we're, we're driving back to our home, and uh, as I'm arriving home, I noticed that our new neighbors, who I've never met, are in the backyard. So I, I go over, inspired by Ashling. I don't say this out loud, inspired by Ashling. But I, I, I go over to them and say, uh, hey, uh, I'm Ken. I'm, you know, you're new in the neighborhood, right? We just caught some, some salmon. Uh, would you like some? Fresh, not out of the oven, of course, but fresh out of the ocean. And they were super glad to receive it, you know? We can share light the light of God's love through our lives, through our deeds. We can also share the light of Christ through a sign. Uh, some of you may recall, if you've been at 10th for a while, uh, a young woman named Jamie who worshipped, I think sometimes in, in this worship service, and she would come in a wheelchair. She was not able to walk, came for um, a number of years. And then one day she felt, she had a sense that maybe God wanted to heal her. And so she asked her small group to pray for her, to pray for her healing. Now, her small group was nervous to pray for her because they didn't want her to be disappointed. They didn't want to be disappointed either. But they prayed for her healing, and Jamie got up out of her wheelchair, and she walked. She was healed, healed to this day. A sign, a sign that God is alive in the world. Sometimes people ask me, how did you come to know Jesus? You're originally from Japan, I know. Um, you know, they'll say, I know you moved when you were young to wherever, New York, England, here to Vancouver. I came to know Christ in part because my great uncle was dying of a terminal illness, TB, which in his day was a death sentence. He had a few months to live, according to the doctor. Someone gave him a Bible. He prayed to Jesus and said, if you're really there, heal me. He was instantly healed and lived to a ripe old age. A sign that God is alive. So we can share Christ and the light of Christ through life, through deed, through sign, and also through word. I was just at our UBC site, and we had an opportunity, or I think they're doing it right now, even as I'm speaking, uh, to say farewell to Santa Ono and his wife, Wendy Yip. Santa, as you probably know, has been the president of UBC for a number of years, and... Um, 
We're very grateful to him for his leadership of the university, but specifically for his encouragement to launch this site at UBC. There's a rumor that Santa Ono started the site. He did not start it. He encouraged it with his wife, prayed for us. And so we wanted to acknowledge him and his role today in that service that I just came from. Santa has been very open about his faith. And so... um, he went to a staff meeting one time and he was in a, in a gathering with some faculty, some colleagues, some staff, and someone asked him, President Ono, what did you do this weekend? And he responded by saying, I went to church and, and then this, this and that. And there was someone in the group apparently who um, was of a different faith, but was very private about her own faith. It was just personal, she never talked about it. And she was so inspired that the president of the University of British Columbia would be so open and natural about her faith that um, she told them about it and, and was just very uplifted. And, and he's been very open about his faith and, and encouragement to fo- fellow followers of Jesus and people of other faiths as well. Speaking about being open about their faith, I think of someone at our East Van site named Jill. Uh, Jill is also someone who considers Christ to be really central in her life. And so when it naturally comes up, she'll talk about her faith. People will ask her, what did you do over the weekend? And she'll say, I went to church, went to a picnic, etc." She was working with someone who started to ask big questions about the meaning of life and about what happens to a person when they die. And she knew that Jill believed in God because she had been open about her faith. And so she started having these conversations with Jill. Jill eventually invited her to attend the popular introduction to Christian faith um, alpha course. And so they attended together and her friend comes into a relationship with Jesus. And just this past spring, she was baptized at our East Van site and it's become an important part of that community. If you were here at this particular service, On Sunday, July the 17th, you may recall Kevin's story as he shared it just before his baptism. Kevin shared that he was born in China, but moved to Vancouver when he was just four years old. So he was pretty much socialized here in Vancouver, here in Canada. But he also mentioned that because his parents spent their formative years in China, which, as you know, has an official um, state position, uh, um, official, officially as, um, as a state, as an atheist um, nation. Uh, his, his family of origin didn't have any religious influence or spiritual influence. He, he described how after university, he became a pharmacist and started to advance quickly through his career, got promotion after promotion, soon became a manager. But then his career path seemed to slow. And as his career path slowed, he began to question his own worth. He had a kind of identity crisis of sorts. And then his girlfriend invited him to 10th Church and said, why don't we take an Alpha course together here? And they attended together. He joined, Kevin uh, also joined a life group. And just before his baptism here in July, he said these words. We, that is his, his uh, friend and he, attended Alpha together. And I remember I had prepared a series of questions that I knew would stump my group. But as we progressed through Alpha, I started to learn about a God that loved me for who I was and that it didn't matter what job or career or salary I had. I wanted to learn more, so I joined a life group. 
In the past two years of journeying with them, I've learned what it's like to live as a Christian and how to fully lean into the teachings of Jesus. Along with my partner and her family, they have been examples of God at work in my life and their love, generosity, and openness have changed me. As I renounce my past today and am born again, I ask God to fill me with his spirit that I may love and serve others with the gifts that he has given me and that God can meet me in my brokenness. And so Kevin speaks about how God's light comes to him through the lives of the people that are in his world, through their deeds, maybe through signs, I don't know, and through words. And he meets Jesus Christ and his life is changed. And our core vision, very simply, is to make Christ known because Christ is the light of life itself, the light of God. I began this message by talking about how I was a new pastor here back in 96. And in my first or second week here, I can't remember exactly which week, on a mid weekday, maybe it was a Wednesday or a Thursday, I was walking through the sanctuary, it was empty, with our then chair of the elders board, Bill Pranky. We stopped at the window right behind Paul and Rita, and the chairman turned to me and said, our church is in decline. We are dying a slow death, and we may not be able to survive here in the city because it's expensive to do ministry here. I thought, you should have told me before you hired me. <laughs> I didn't say that out loud, but I thought that. And then I can't remember if I thought this or said this. I probably said it. I said, I hope that we not only survive, but we also grow. And then sometime later, that verse that I mentioned earlier from 1 Samuel 2 came to my mind, where God says, I will raise up a priest who will do what is in my mind and heart. And I thought, God is not necessarily calling us to be a big church or to be a famous church. Those things aren't important to God. But God is calling us to do what is in his mind and heart. And if we do that, that will be enough. And that will be true success in the eyes of God. And we believe with all our heart here at 10th that part of what is in God's mind and heart for us is to make Christ known. So if you believe that, we invite you to join our mission. And through all that you are, through all that we are, together, let us make Christ known. Let's pray together. you're here and you're not sure that you know Christ personally, even as we prepare to come to this table to eat a sacred meal that he has prepared for us, you can say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but shine your light in me and through me. Forgive my sins. Cleanse me. And like you did for Kevin, make me new. Make me new. And he will. Make me yours.
And if you've prayed that prayer now or at some point you've given your life to Christ, perhaps you would want to simply pray, Christ, shine your light in me and through me. In me and through me. Reflect your light through me, through my life, my deeds, even through signs and through my words as you give opportunity. That the light of life itself might come through me, might shine through me, bringing life to others and glory to you. And it's in the name, the strong, brilliant name of Christ that we pray. Amen.